0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in beautiful Napa, California, with a nice cab in my hand, with a very special guest who makes this cab by the name of Steve Natali. Steve, welcome back to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Mark.
0: Well, have some fun. Now, I said welcome back. That's because Steve was a guest way back in August of 2016. He was guest number... Five hundred and seventy two. I've talked to a few people since you were last on because now you're number twenty one sixty eight. So a lot's changed in our lives since then, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm honored to be back. Thank you.
0: i'd Love to have you back and we'll we'll learn about what you're up to these days. But I didn't ask you this question when you were on the show before. What's one little thing that people may not know about you, Steve?
1: Oh, uh, they probably didn't know that I make wine.
0: Well, and that's I, kind of- <laughs> I, alluded, I alluded to that when we started, and I was kind of hoping you would say that. Since, since you were last on the show, you moved to Napa, and you're making wine, among other car things, or car-related things. What's with that?
1: Uh, we bought a property that had 50 Cabernet Sauvignon vines on it and uh, didn't know anything about making wine, and got into the hobby and started making it, and we're having a lot of fun with it. Got into the whole wine culture here up in Napa. Uh, there's a lot of wine people and old car people up here and we're just having, having a good time with it. You know, I'm Italian, so I have to make wine at some point. If you're Italian, you have to make wine.
0: Yeah. I was teasing you. Natale cab <laughs> uh, it kind of works really well. I think you need to design a special label. So the vines that were on your property, I know a lot. I don't know anything about wine, but I do know what tastes good. At least to me, that's about all I know. But when it comes to vineyards and vines, any idea how old yours are?
1: Uh, yeah, they were nine years old when we bought the property, so now they're coming up on 11 years old.
0: Okay. Well, just, so they're
1: well-established. Yeah. The, the previous owners had been making wine previously, and so everything was in place. Uh, all irrigation system was all professionally installed at some point, so we just walked into it. We nice. just had to learn.
0: You just recently harvested, right?
1: Yes, just harvested, and so it was uh, literally – Knee deep in wine here. <laughs> day, I just have to stick one foot in the in the barrel, you know, in, in the in the crush. I gotta do it. Just just to say. I stomped it with my feet.
0: I just have to ask, you, you did wash your feet before you crushed this wine we're about to drink, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wash my feet, scrubbed them good and then jumped in there. Had to do it. Had to do it.
0: Good. Well, I love it. <laughs> Next time I see you and I say, why are your feet purple? Now I'll know why. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, the guy with the purple feet at the beach, that's me.
0: That's you. Yeah. Well, let me give you a proper <laughs> deduction because you've been doing some new cool things. Steve Tolly has been obsessing about old cars since he was a little kid playing with his Matchbox toys. Over the years, he's been involved in nearly every aspect of the collector car scene from being a partner in a rent-a-wreck franchise, a vintage car dismantling business, a restoration shop, and buying and selling old cars. Cars with a dealer's license. More recently, he's become known for the many classic car articles and photographs that he's had published in magazines both in the US and the UK. He has also done work for the Blackhawk Museum and the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance. His latest venture is his popular and rapidly growing YouTube show titled In the Garage with Steve Natale. And by the way. Yeah, Steve still plays with Matchbox cars. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. They keep the gas in the tank here, so give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Covercraft's newest five-layer indoor cover is especially engineered for indoor use, providing maximum dust protection when your vehicle is stored in the garage. Your five-layer indoor cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form, and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Even if your vehicle is always inside, dust and fallout can damage the paint, and an extra layer of soft, Breathable material protects from accidental bumps and rubs. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover, custom fit to fit the car like a glove. And I have a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and Free shipping. Simply use the code YEAH, Y-E-A-H-2-1, at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company. And I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework. I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customer's insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one Auto Geek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant. It's a spray-on, wipe-off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 spray sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products. And Blackfire spray sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months go to autogeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today along with their skilled technical support autogeek.net is where i go for all my detailing needs that's autogeek.net check them out today So Steve, we are back. So since you were last on the show, you've started a bunch of new things, but I want to really focus on your In the Garage YouTube page because YouTube, my goodness, do you think about YouTube? It really has not been around that long, but it is amazing. I mean, I don't even watch really TV anymore. I just watch... YouTube. I recently had uh, Richard Rawlings of uh, Fast and Loud and his many other TV shows as a guest here. And he doesn't even have a TV show on TV anymore other than reruns. He's got his own YouTube page. So it sounds like uh, you're moving in the same direction of a lot of these folks. So tell me, how did this all come about?
1: Yeah, we started to make a TV show. It was uh, The Getaway with Steve Natale. We did a pilot episode. We had some interest in Hollywood, never got picked up uh, we might make another run at it, but uh, I was reading some statistics, and 20% of TV viewership now is user-created content, meaning essentially YouTube, and growing. And that's a large segment. More people are going towards streaming, cutting the cord. I know I do. I, I have a Roku. I just stream, and I do watch a lot of YouTube, and I started interviewing people. and Everybody says, yeah, we just cut the cord. We don't do cable TV anymore. We watch YouTube. And I'm like, let's just do a YouTube show about what I really love, and that's cars. And so that's, that's how it got started. I have an uh, executive producer, director that works with me, and his son's also a, a really uh, great cinematographer. So we got together, and I teamed up with my friends here, and uh, we're making a show and having a lot of fun.
0: Well, I think it's great. Back in 2019, I did my own TV show, Self-Produced, and it was on in 2019. We had shot half of the following year, and then this thing called COVID came along and wiped everything out because we couldn't go shoot and you know the rest of the story. And I've thought ever since then, because I've not brought it back, it was a very expensive venture. I had to raise some money to do it. And as you know, you've had a little experience dealing with networks and these major TV shows. And I just found that a lot of them have said, well, yeah, okay, we'll run your show, but we're not going to pay you. We own the rights to your show. And uh, you still want to do it? And You kind of look at that and you go why would I do that? I'm not sure why when this thing called YouTube is. So one of the things that comes up many times when I talk to people like this is, and most YouTube watchers probably ask this question because they don't really know, how do you make money on YouTube with a show to pay for all the work it takes? Because I've seen your show, it's really well done, and I've done a show and it is not cheap to do. It takes some time and effort to do it pretty well. So how does that work, the monetization side?
1: Uh, well, the monetization side, and we haven't made any money yet, so we're just in the building stage. However, uh, you need 4,000 viewership hours in one year in a 12-month period, as well as a minimum of 1,000 subscribers. I have the I have well over 1,000 subscribers, and I'm coming up on the 4,000 pretty soon view, total viewership hours. And then they'll start to monetize through commercials and so forth. And to be honest with you, I don't know all the tiny little details of it's kind of a complicated cocktail of different ways to make money on YouTube. You can sell things on YouTube. They have uh, sponsorship sharing opportunities where you, somebody can advertise on your channel. And if they buy a car cover from that car cover company that's advertising on your channel, then you get a piece of that. So there's all different ways. You can make it from multiple different ways. And I'm going to attempt them all. <laughs> it's just fun.
0: Well, you mentioned another thing, and man, I'm right there with you. I I'm almost abandoned television. I just there's not much on, and I, I keep wanting to cut our cable. My, my wife likes sports, and she likes to watch it live. And apparently, it's a little more hard to do without cable TV. But you look at it, and there's literally thousands of channels, and there's nothing to really to watch, uh, at least from my perspective. But I enjoy. YouTube. I follow some YouTube channels and they don't even have any relation. Some of them don't have any relation to cars, but they're just interesting and they're fairly well done. They get better and better. And you look at their viewerships, you know, 1 million, 4 million. I just watched a guy this morning. He's got 12 million subscribers and now he's been doing this for 15 plus years. So you got to build it up, you know, as they say, but uh, it's pretty amazing. And uh, my hats off to you for what you're doing. So tell our listeners here that have not watched your channel, In the Garage with Steve Natali, what's the show all about?
1: Well, my problem is I like everything. So it's <laughs> not
0: it's, That's right, wine and cars.
1: Just, <laughs> it's cars, cars is a very broad subject as you know. There's everything from hot rods to, you know, brassy or touring cars to race cars. I like everything. So I decided to make the show about all different types of cars and all different types of people that collect these cars. And so I'm doing live coverage at events. I'm profiling certain makes and models. Uh, I did the show, interviewed a guy who does uh, low riders. I've done racing cars. I've done everything you can think of, Pebble Beach Concours and everything else in between. Or I'll just see a car in a parking lot and I'm like, this is such a real cool car. I'm going to capture this car. You know, I just love it. And rather than target one specific car audience, uh, I decided to just go all the way across the board in everything, like say from muscle cars to luxury cars and everything else in between. And I think people that like cars also have interest in other things. Even a guy that collects nothing but muscle cars likes to see an old Rolls Royce once in a while or something like that. It's interesting, even though you may not be totally into it. And then most car people I know have an unquenchable thirst for knowledge for other cars. and They're interested in learning. And uh, we're just having a good time. We're keeping it light and fun and enjoyable and not making anything too long, lengthy, or too serious. And I think we, we've we kind of hit on something here.
0: So maybe you should call it In and Out of the Garage with Steve Metalli. <laughs> yeah. Since it sounds like you're all over the place.
1: Yeah, I'm all over the place. And we're traveling around, filming things. And I'm just having a lot of fun, you know. And if And I think... The fact that I'm having fun kind of comes through. Uh, That's what my uh, uh, my producer says, and so it looks like if you're having fun, the audience is too. I think that's clearly the case here, and you can tell even from uh, your part podcast mark that you have you're having fun with your guests and it comes through and it's an, it's enjoyable to listen to
0: well i always say what i'm doing is like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates because many of my guests i've never met until they called i've never even spoken to them now you and i know each other we run into each other every year we we saw each other on the lawn at pebble last month and uh, had some fun there but i always say that 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 Forrest gums box of chocolates i never know what i'm going to get but it's always a little bit tasty And yeah, uh, hopefully that does come through, and I appreciate your your comments, and it certainly does with you. Do you have any mentors or driving inspirations, as I like to call them, when it comes to what you're doing now on YouTube?
1: Uh, Definitely Jay Leno's YouTube show. Not not the television show, but the YouTube show I've been watching for years, and I've always enjoyed that. And then things that Donald Osborne is doing with uh, Drain Museum, very enjoyable to watch, and both those gentlemen are very well versed in cars and very knowledgeable. And I, I learned something. You can never stop learning. Never. I'm, I don't like to call myself an expert at anything. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where you get into trouble when you say you're an expert. Those are two guys uh, I've always admired very much, uh, both uh, as, as people and I like their, their shows.
0: You know, it's funny because the day we're recording your show here, Donald is my guest today. Uh, so you listeners, if you missed uh, my talk with Donald, he's been on the show a bunch of times. I ran into him at the Gooding Auction during Car Week, and he said, hey, I'd like to come back on and talk about our – our." Uh, come up Audrain's Motorworks Week. They're having a, a wonderful week of all sorts of events. In fact, I really wish I could get back there and go see this. I'm going to make a, a definite plans to go see it next year, because it sounds fantastic. But Donald's expertise and, of course, Jay Leno's, I mean, geez, you put those two guys together, and it'd be hard to beat the knowledge those two guys have, right?
1: Oh, yeah, and they're, and they're they're such nice people, too, and I, I definitely want to go to that event in, in Newport. Uh, I might be on the same plane with you, Mark, because I want to I can't make it this year, but I want to go next year.
0: Well, we'll make sure we meet up there because uh, after talking with Donald, I mean, it's incredible what they built in a very short time with Audrain and with their Linkage magazine, which I promote here on Cars Yeah, and all the events they're doing there. So it's it's kind of like a mini pebble, um, but... It's just so inclusive of so many different things. So, uh, yeah, it's one of the best parts of running into uh, the many people you and I run into. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors. we come back, I want to talk a little bit about challenges with what you're doing. So keep that thought in mind, and we'll be right back. Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code cars, yeah when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. TechForce is a charity of choice here at Cars, yeah. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply, it's critically short. For every one tech who graduates school, there's five jobs waiting for them. Said another way, four technician jobs go unfilled for every technician graduate. Lots of young people love cars, but don't know how to turn that passion into their careers. TechForce Foundation shows them through career exploration technical education, and the workforce development solutions. Join Cars yeah, in supporting TechForce Foundation and its mission to solve the technician shortage by donating at techforce.org today. So let's talk about this challenge question. I ask all my guests this question, and many people, when they hear you're a YouTuber, kind of like when I started podcasting, I can't tell you how many eyes rolled and looked at me. They either said, what's a podcast? Now, this was nine years ago. Or they said, oh, you're going to try to be one of those guys. And I would assume it's kind of still the same with YouTube, although that is growing. It's becoming a lot more credible. But when it comes to putting the show of yours together, what are some of the many challenges that you run up against?
1: Oh, well, one of the challenges is sound. It would be somewhere to, I'm trying to record something and there'll be uh, copyrighted music in the background that's playing and I can't use it. Or Some other noise will come in, so noise canceling is always uh, probably one of the larger challenges, really. And then just getting out there, and and you just have to get out there and do it. People love talking about their cars, so that's that's been really really fun. Fortunately, we have I have an associate of of my uh, producer who is a musician and a composer, and he's composed thousands of songs and TV jingles and everything over the over many years, and he's allowed us to use all his music for free. So I have original music on all uh, the shows, which is really really nice. So we don't have to worry about any copyright infringements. And uh, sometimes the music can sound kind of canned on some of these other lesser quality shows that I've seen. You can hear the same the same jingle over and over again because it's non copyrighted music. There's a library they can go online and acquire. Um, but it all kind of sounds the same. So I was very very fortunate to have this this guy Pat Ricky, uh, brilliant composer, help us. And he loves the show and he's just he's happy to help. So we're we're thrilled to have that. But that was one that was the biggest uh one of the biggest challenges is sound really. Because it has to sound good.
0: Do you have a sound guy that you work with?
1: Uh yeah, my producer does all the sound tech uh, engineering. Oh okay. Uh and cleans up everything. So everything runs through him. He cleans up everything. I do some voiceover. Uh sometimes we'll film things and it's just too noisy and I'll have to voice over the video later so that people can see can hear me what I'm talking about so I can explain the car we're looking at. And I built a little studio in my house. That means a bunch of, in the corner of my room, I put a bunch of pillows and blankets and I, <laughs> I sit in there record my voiceover just because of the sound deadening. In the-
0: I know some people have done that with podcasting and they, they record shows in their closet because there's clothes hanging uh, everywhere. And, uh, yeah, you know, these are some of the things when you start producing content, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube thing, that if you don't, cover those types of things especially sound quality people just bail because they're like i can't hear you what's all that sound you know noise is terrible and the other thing is there's all these misnomers about music rights and oh if you only use less than 10 seconds of somebody's song it's okay no it's not youtube is prolific about coming after you for protecting all that copywritten music even voices yeah you got to be really careful right
1: Yeah. Yeah. When we were learning, I was doing some interviews and there'd be music playing in the background. Uh, My producer would uh, lay over other music over to try to block out other music. I mean, there'd be Beach Boys playing in the background of a good guy's event. We're trying to talk over that so he can try to reduce that. And uh, that's the biggest challenge, especially during live events. So if I'm by myself and I pull a car aside and we can we can just talk about it with no noise, it's, it's perfect. But it's a combination. We've got a combination of being at live events, I have a microphone, or just pulling cars off and profiling them. We're just trying to change up and make it, make it interesting, not make every show the same, a little different, and just have fun with it.
0: A bit of a uh, work in progress, learning as you go, kind of finding your footing thing? Yeah, I'm learning
1: as I go. Uh, my producer has many, many years' experience at this. Uh, but there's always th- something to learn when it comes to talking about cars. Fortunately, people have embraced it and had a good time with it. And I'm just having a ball doing this thing. It's just fun, Mark. I, I, I like it. You know, I've been a writer for many years and I still do that, enjoy that and photographer. But this is just a kind of a natural extension of that, I guess. Well, moving into the yeah. next uh, media.
0: Yeah, definitely it is. Let's talk a little bit about some of the writing and things you've done in the past. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that part of your career path.
1: Yeah, I've been writing for a long time now. I'm a freelance writer. And I've written for many different publications, Vintage Race and Road Car is one of them. I write for the Porsche magazine, Excellent. I've written for a Corvette magazine. I've written for some place, some Rolls-Royce and Bentley driver and Jaguar Classic in the UK. I can't remember all the ones out now i have uh, many, many different publications because I am freelance. And if I write a story, then I kind of find a place to park it.
0: <laughs> nice book.
1: I've also done writing. You know, I just, <laughs> I mean, if I write a Corvette story, I reach out to the Corvette place or a muscle car story. You know, they, there's a good place to drop each one of these stories. And the stories just kind of come out of nowhere. They just, I run across somebody with a good story and we decide to get together and talk about it and, and, and write a story. And I also do my own photography, go with the story. I like to do that because I know what the story is and I know. What pictures to take so they're going to enhance that story. And so it's fun to do the photography and the writing. Uh, I've also done some writing for the vintage, uh, I'm sorry, for uh, Pebble Beach Concord, for their magazine and for their uh, program and so forth, their newsletter. So I get, I, I love the Pebble Beach Concord people. They're great. And I do some work for uh, Don Williams and Brian Murphy at the Blackhawk Collection. And I've done work for the Blackhawk Museum. Most it's about cars, you know. I've <laughs> done, I just, uh, I just enjoy, I enjoy the writing and then talk about learning when I write a story and do a bunch of research, you learn a lot about the car you're writing about as a necessity because you can't make mistakes. Otherwise they'll come after you. Somebody will read the article and see something and say, that's not correct. You know, that's the wrong horsepower for that year. And I don't want that to happen. So I I usually triple verify all the facts. I run it through different experts and the the car owner, the restorer, uh, and try to verify everything. In the article and make sure that everything is correct so it takes a bunch of time to do but i enjoy doing it so that's what i do i love it
0: so let's talk a little bit about a special vehicle in your past now you've worked in car restoration the automotive sector mm-hmm. businesses and so forth is there one vehicle that stands out for you
1: uh i really miss my 1951 cadillac convertible really miss that car i've had a lot of great cars over the years i've always been partial the Cadillacs, I guess Cadillacs and Pontiacs. My grandfather was a uh, service writer at a Cadillac Pontiac dealership in Worcester, Massachusetts. They're in their heyday during the 60s and 70s when all those great cars were made. And so I got to experience all these cars and just really, really grew uh, fond of them. They have great memories for me. I, I do wish I could get another old Cadillac convertible that's hopefully in my future. Once the show takes off, that's the first thing I'm going to buy. Right?
0: <laughs> well, those are those are beautiful. Now, are they somewhat rare?
1: No, for some reason you don't see too many 1950 to 54 or five Cadillacs. Uh, other than the Eldorados show up at car shows. 53 Eldos, but uh, I don't know if they're I don't want to say forgotten, but they're just they didn't make a large number of them. They're not super. I wouldn't call them super super rare, but fairly uncommon.
0: Is that the series 62?
1: Uh yes, I guess all the convertibles are you know from that period would be series sixty two with the exception of the Eldorado, which came out in fifty three well, which I'm is just, really uh, the dream car
0: I'm just peer peeking at uh, a hemming site and they say about they say six thousand one hundred seventeen of those were made, so not a whole lot, but more than i more than I thought perhaps were made, but uh, uh, beautiful cars. I mean, that era of car and oh my gosh, the bumper must weigh a thousand pounds just by itself. It's so huge.
1: They're great. They're so heavy and they drive, they drive wonderful. They have ample power when you drive them. Really reliable, dependable cars. And I like the seating posture in a late forties, early fifties car. You kind of sit like you do today and maybe a pickup truck where your feet are going down and you sit upright and it's a very comfortable position to sit in for a long period of time and you can i can just drive them all day and just uh, just love it they have a style and character and they're a little little different you don't see that particular vintage cadillac around as much you know the focus seems to be and for a long time and for for good reason the 1959 60 models of the big fins and we all love those too but uh, these are a little more a little more subdued and they fit me well I think so.
0: I need one. I need one. There you go. My mom used to say when I used to say, I need that. She'll go, no, you want it. You don't need it. And then I would respond with, well, I want what I need and I need what I want. And that's when I'd get sent to my (laughs) bedroom. So uh, for being smart Alec. So I'm going to do something I did not do with you last time you're on the show. I'm going to be a car psychologist here. I'm going to crawl into your head. If you were reincarnated manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive your own personality in some type of a vehicle, how they relate. What would you be, but more importantly, why?
1: Well, since I'm Italian, maybe I would come back as a, as a Ferrari. Okay. But it would be, I think, a large Ferrari, like a 365 2 plus 2 or a uh, 400 to 410 Super America or 500 Super Fast, one of those luxury touring high-speed Ferraris from the 60s.
0: All right, that kind of makes some sense. <laughs> I guess <laughs> a bigger, a bigger cruising Ferrari.
1: Yeah, I like I like to call it like the super fast and the super Americas like the uh, the Cadillacs of Ferraris. Okay, because they're there large.
0: <laughs> there's the time. They're
1: large four passenger cars. You know, and uh, uh, I've never been into the like the the. I'm not a race car guy. I'm more of a, like a luxury car guy. But then there there we go. There's your Italian luxury car, or, or guess maybe a uh, a Maserati, perhaps. But, uh, but because it's the closest thing to an Italian Cadillac.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's some eyes rolling <laughs> with that question, uh, but that's okay. So how about great reading? Is there a uh, perhaps a great book you've read in the last couple of years that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I read the uh, biography of uh, Enzo Ferrari. It was published uh, just a few years ago. It's by Luca Dalmonte. Really, really well done. It's just called Enzo And what I liked about the book, it got inside his head. And what it it didn't go, you know, this year they did this, 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 and this. It wasn't all about the cars. It was more about the person and his philosophy and how he handled things. And uh, I thought it was very, very interesting. He was a very interesting man on a lot of different levels. That's a great, great book on cars that I can highly recommend.
0: We're going to go on the ultimate drive today. I'm going to enable you to have some fun. And I'm going to write the check, kind of be your benefactor here, which is a nice thought. You can have any car in the world to take on a drive. You can be driving anywhere, and here's the key. You can take anybody with you, anybody, even somebody who's passed. If you want to take old Mr. Enzo Ferrari, you can take him too. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you? I
1: wouldn't mind going for a ride in a 1953 Eldorado with Harley Earl. Okay. That would be a ride to remember, or perhaps in his La Sabra prototype show car. Oh, you yeah. take that for a nice drive. That's the car I want to drive. I want to drive that car with Harley Earl. Harley Earl and Bill Mitchell are my you know, car idols as far as what they did with cars. I love it.
0: Yeah. So what's the first question you'd ask Mr. Earl?
1: Hmm. I guess I would ask him what inspired him to come up with these designs. You know, what does he look for? What, what is he looking for? that sparks it? I mean, all his cars, his designs all had a very distinct look in my mind. Especially in the 40s and in early part of the 50s, um, that was uh, the quintessential General Motors Harley Earl look that I love. Then later with Bill Mitchell, he kind of took it from there and had the clean, crisp look and the brilliant designs of the 60s that came out. So I just love General Motors styling from that era. Also, all the General Motors cars from the I guess from the mid 70s on back are just uh, well, a lot of them are very well executed.
0: I would imagine that the uh, rules of engagement when it came to car design back then, very, very different than what they are today. And if you look at cars during certain periods, let's pick the Malays period, the 70s where not everything, but many cars were just malaise, blah, uh, you know, bean counter-designed cars, K cars and things like that. But when you go back to Harley Earl's time, whole different deal. It seemed like they were just, they just had so much more freedom to do what they wanted to do. And I'm sure there were rules. I mean, they had to make money. The company had to be able to sell cars. But they sure came up with some beautiful things.
1: I think the design of the car, the aesthetics, was one of the most important elements in the design thought. So they thought, let's make this car look good and then, fig- so then figure out how we can put an engine and people in it. <laughs> <laughs> some of these designs are just fantastic. I mean, the Italians do that the most. I mean, they make these gorgeous, incredibly beautiful, over-the-top, delicate design cars in the, in the coach builders built in the 60s and 70s in the 50s and then they said okay let's see if we can cram some people in it now <laughs> you know yeah. we don't want to raise the roof line we're not going to change this we're not going to change this here's the design and they give it to ferrari or to alfa romeo or whoever and say okay now you guys can figure out how to put the engine in it and make it run and see if you can fit people in it
0: <laughs> yeah that's why a lot of those are hard to drive
1: Yeah, a lot of them you can barely fit in, but they're beautiful. They're like little jewelry pieces of art, you know, Um, whereas the American cars had to be more practical. However, design was very, very important, and they analyzed and uh, scrutinized these designs to try to get uh, the best design. Some of the stuff that came out of, you know, Virgil Exner and all these uh, from Chrysler, a lot of these designs are just stunning. They're beautiful, beautiful designs but they could still put uh, six people of them go down the road and go grocery shopping and they're reliable and fun cars to drive. So it was a delicate balance. And they had to sell, too. They had to sell them.
0: Exactly. So many cars that I've looked at over the years that I have had a chance to drive, once you get to drive them, it's almost like meeting your heroes. It's a little disappointing. And you go, ugh, this was not much fun. And now I think we've become so spoiled by how really great, almost every vehicle is, even if it looks ugly, it just operates so well. And perhaps that's why there's this resurgence of classic cars being reimagined, i.e. Singer, uh, Scion's done it now with the P1800, we saw that at the Quail, and so many others, Broncos, and pick a car, for FJs, that are being redone in a way that makes them drivable and enjoyable, so that guys like you and I can get in these cars and enjoy them and drive them and not treat them like little pieces of jewels. Or as I say, you get in and go, "Ugh, this isn't much fun to drive.
1: Yeah. I have a, I have a 2011 Camaro convertible. I bought new SS and it has a lot of hallmarks of the 1969 design in its design. And, you know, I've owned a lot of 69 Camaros, the original cars. And this thing just drives so much nicer. <laughs> it's, it's It's faster, stops better. It does everything better, you know, and it still looks cool. I don't know if it looks, it's debatable whether it looks as cool as a 69 Camaro, but it, sh- it just shows the, the American ingenuity They it, c- it can be done. They can make really great looking cars if they want to.
0: Yep, if they want to. <laughs> there you go.
1: If they want to. <laughs> and then what's really cool to you and me, Mark, may not sell 100,000 units like they want it to or, or whatever their sales goals are. Um, and so I get that. Maybe that's, you know, they have to sell them. But uh, I love it when they do it. They make some, every once in a while, they come up with some great stuff. The new Broncos are really neat, really neat design. Um, you know, and Singer reimagining these uh, old Porsches. Those things just drive incredible, I and mean, they're fantastic. So it's fun to see this stuff happen.
0: And then they come up with a Pontiac Aztec, and you just go, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> How did, yeah, how did that happen? You know, uh, the Cadillac Cimarron is another one. What, what, what happened there? Right. But, uh,
0: <laughs> too many, too many cooks in the kitchen making the stew. You've taken us on a fun ride, and I really appreciate you coming back and talking about in the garage with Steve and Tally, a YouTube channel that you can go subscribe to, enjoy, and watch. I encourage you to do that. Easy to find, but I'll put links on Steve's show notes page here. Are there other ways people can keep up keep up with what you're doing?
1: Um, the Facebook, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm on everything. But the YouTube show, we have stuff coming up well, many times, uh, two or three times a week. So there's always fresh content on there. And you kind of see me running around, going to all these different places and talking to all these different people. So, um, but yeah, check my Facebook page. And there's, uh, I, have a, I have a website too, uh, stevenotale.com, but uh, probably Facebook and, and YouTube.
0: There you go. I'll put, again, links to all of these on Steve's show notes page here on the Cars Yeah website so you can check him out. Steve, thanks for uh, taking a little time out of your very busy schedule, definitely busy schedule. Uh, Let me know when that wine is ready to enjoy. I'll come up for a visit. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you somewhere down the road, probably in the garage with Steve and Tolly.
1: Thanks so much, Mark. Always a pleasure.
0: This was fun.